morning from me. I have the wonderful task of saying a few words from John chapter 12. And uh, the title of this uh, small address is How to See Jesus. Now that's an important one. Quite a straightforward message, really, how to see Jesus. But if you've ever been under sort of evangelical ministry, we always overcomplicate things. So it, you may not be used to this sort of simple you may think, oh no, it can't be that. It has to be something much more in my head and ethereal than that. But I don't think it is. I think there's a way to see Jesus that we're often not very good at, but we should be doing. All of us. Now, Jesus is entering Jerusalem, and we went into that in Palm Sunday and on Good Friday, and there's all sorts of things going on, and you can look at our old services online for that. I'm not touching on it here. But I am going to tell you something that I was reminded of this week when I was in a conference. A conference about the Jewishness of Jesus. Now, um, in these days, they were different slightly to our days. And if you were a boy, you would probably uh, go to the synagogue. Right? And a bit like this, some differences. But you would all go, and then the boys would learn, like, stuff from this, well, two-thirds of this book, right? And then, some would drop away and do fisherman stuff or wood stuff, but some had an aptitude for learning this. So, a rabbi would come alongside them and say, right, you, follow me. And they would begin a journey of scripture memorization, like to an advanced level, and then teaching this stuff. And if you were super, super good, you'd go on to be like a Pharisee, like the Apostle Paul went all the way to the top. That's what he was doing. Okay? Now, the point of that is, in these, the Jewishness of this faith of ours means you follow a rabbi. That is faith. You follow the teacher all the days of your life. And you, you move in with them sometimes, I'm not inviting you to do that with me by any stretch. But, um, well, I mean, you're welcome to. I just have to ask Rita first. But in, the, in these days, you would follow, sometimes move in, and then you would ask questions, and then you'd learn stuff, and then you'd put it into practice. See? And then you'd get things wrong, and you'd ask more, and he'd answer more, and the little bits you learn, you put it into practice. And it was a lifelong journey of putting things into practice. Right? Very different from the Greeks, that would generally stay in their attics and just think about stuff. Do you see the difference? Like they were like up here, trying to grasp concepts. The rabbi followers would learn and go, and learn and go. And they'd see more of their rabbi and learn more of the rabbi as they went. Okay? So, with that in mind, I'm going to come back to that near the end. There's a Jewish festival going on, and there's Passover being celebrated. And there are also some Greek people there. I'm just going to reread 20 and 22. Remember now, this is all about seeing Jesus. There were some Greeks among the people. They went up to worship at the feast. So they've had an interesting story. We don't know much about it. They came to Philip with a request. Sir, they said, we want to see Jesus. Or we would see Jesus. Where is he? Philip went to tell Andrew. And Andrew went to tell Philip, who in turn told Jesus about the Greeks. Okay? So they're there. All sorts of people asking the question, where's Jesus? 
In this passage, there's Greek, Greeks doing it. Or maybe that's like a metaphor for just non-Jew. Don't know, they're probably literally Greeks. Right? Now, here's a question. If you had a moment to go up to Jesus when he was on earth and ask him a question, would you be sheepish? Or would you be right, like, all right, mate? Like, how would you be? You ever thought about that? Um, because these people, I think, were sheepish because they went to Philip. And I think they went to Philip because Philip's a Greek name, I think. And I think they went to one of their own who in turn went to someone else who in turn it went back to Jesus, that there were people looking for him. They may have avoided Jesus because in between verses 19 and 20, Jesus has actually turned some tables over in the temple and had a fight, actually, with a few people. So maybe they're like, right, let's talk to someone else because he might need some cooling off space. Anyway, I'm just laying the picture here. Anyway, they go to Philip. Right, here's another question as we get to the main point. Isn't this a fascinating question? We want to see Jesus. It's fascinating. We want to see him. Like, and when they say see, they don't mean I just want to like, look at what color his hair is or have a selfie and move on. They mean, like we've heard about Jesus, what he does for people, what he's like, and we want to know more. We want to connect with the rabbi because we're dealing here with the greatest rabbi that ever lived, the teacher of all people. And it's not far off today what people in Cardiff, maybe in this room or at home are asking. It's like this kind of question. Well, how do I, what's Christianity? Uh, like, who's Jesus? I want to see him. Is this real? Um, how do I know I'm one? How do I know? I want to see. So there's some people, I reckon, asking that today, even as I speak. Like, am I really on the team? Am I in? Does he love me? How do I know more of him? What's my job here in church? What am I, what's my purpose as a human? I think maybe people are asking that at home. I want to see Jesus. And um, here's what I want to say today. Like, how do we see Jesus? From the youngest to the oldest, how do we see him? Like, in, in a meaningful way. Because no offense. Like, if this is a Christian church, and we don't see Jesus Christ. What's the point? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? We're Christian. I mean, the Christ has got to be involved somewhere. You don't join a club to see someone and then he's not ever there. Because that's not a very good club, is it? Um, or your friends ask you on Monday, what did you do on Sunday? Well, I went to church. What did you do there? Worship Jesus. Was he there? Did you see him? No. They'd say, well, why did you go? And you'd go, that's a good question. I don't really know. I've been like that for years, actually. In fact, I only go because my missus makes me go. We give those types of answers. Like, this is an important one. We need to see Jesus. Because if he's not here, it's like going to a pub that doesn't sell alcohol. Nobody goes, does it? That's their thing. This is our thing. People need to see Jesus. People in the area need to know where to go if they want to see Jesus or Christ. Because we're Christians. Um... And, no offense, like there are better things to do on a Sunday morning if Jesus isn't here, isn't it? Like, if you want company, you can have company with each other, but have a nice croissant and a cup of tea in a garden center or something, because the croissants are nice. And actually, loads of people in Cardiff have figured that out. I don't need to go to church on Sunday for company. I'll go to the garden center because 
They've got something nicer. Real nice croissants and company. So this is it, really. I mean, if we don't have Jesus, we might as well go to the garden center and have croissants and coffee and look at the fish. Do you, do you see? Have I gone mad or madder? Um, and here's the message, because in a couple of months, I'm 38 years old. I'm getting too old to waste my time. Like, what's the point? I got two boys. They're this close off saying this to me every single week. Dad, can I go and play for my football team or rugby team instead of church? That's what's coming, isn't it? Now, what do I say? Because they might say, because, you know, Jesus isn't there, so church is dull. I'd rather be in a rugby team. And I'd be like, well, yeah, I get it. I get it. But when people see Jesus and church sees Jesus, like now we're cooking. Now that's better than the garden center. And these Greeks, they, though they were surrounded by the magnificent temple and the ornaments and sacrifices, they realized that on its own, that stuff isn't going to satisfy the questions that we're all asking. And I love like ornaments and iconography and stuff, but on their own, they don't do it. They're not quite there. We need to see Jesus through that stuff, in that stuff, over and around all that stuff. Okay? And I meet people every week. Every week. I meet weak people, lost people, worried people, hurting people. It's my privilege. And what do they essentially ask? Though they may not articulate it, they're asking, like, what have you got for us, Owen? Because in my situation, I need Jesus if he is who he says he is. Please let's pray to him together. I need him. Like where I'm at, I just need help from somewhere. And a Jesusless church isn't going to really do the business. Okay? Now, I heard about a church once, true story. There was a pastor there, and his personality was delightful, and his sermons were homiletical, and um, his sermons were for the most part biblical, but he hardly ever spoke about and offered Jesus, which is what the whole Bible's all about. And then, after listening to his flights of oratory and well-polished sermons, some of his congregation came up with a plan. And while he was away for a few days, they hired a skilled woodcarver to work on the pulpit. And when the pastor returned, he placed his Bible on the pulpit for a Sunday sermon, and he noticed that some changes had been made and beautifully carved into the wood on the pulpit above his Bible were the words, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Why? Because the longing of the heart, that's the business we're in, the answer to the longing of the heart. And according to the Bible, only the rabbi can do that. Right? Not truth, dry truth on its own, an academic stimulation. Being presented with the Lord Jesus Christ. And more specifically than that, John, in verse 23 and 24, seems to want to shine a light on something very particular about the Lord Jesus Christ and how he satisfied people. And he, he talks about the hour has come 
for the Son of Man to be glorified. So Jesus is going to look really special to people now. They're going to see something special. I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains as a single seed. But if it dies, it then produces many seeds. So John wants everyone to get, when we see and think about Jesus, one of the most important things we need to think about is that he's going to go into the ground and die like a seed, and he's going to come back up three days later, and like he's going to have like new life, and then people who trust him are going to be full of new life. Okay? If you don't know the story of Jesus, by the way, the next few chapters, this happens. Pilate would bring him to a balcony, and he'd be nearly naked now, a circle of thorns would be biting down into his brow. There'd be blood dripping from his scourged back. There'd be tears in his welling eyes, welling in his eyes. And uh, then he'd be humiliated and Pilate would go, here's your king. Here's the king of the Jews. Here's your rabbi. How's he doing now? Then they would, then they would take him on a hill and they would put nails in his hands and nail him to two cross beams with, through his feet and his hands. Then they would lift him up. They'd stick the wood in the ground, they'd sink the cross in deep into a hole in the ground, which would have hurt even more than what he was going through already. And there he would appear very vulnerable and very visible. Visible People would see him. They'd see him. And the Bible says, this is, this is glorious. And here we start to learn that he's the savior of the world. And he's saving by being abandoned by his disciples He's been betrayed and delivered into the hands of his enemies. That's what John wants us to see. And there's Greeks here who say, yeah, we want to see him. The one who's talking about dying like a seed. That's the one we want to see. Because in his death, he's going there for me. So my death is going to be defeated when he goes there for me. And I meet people who are guilty. They're like, oh, and show me some hope. And I say, well, you've got to see Jesus. Because he's... He's gone on the cross and he's taken the guilt away that we all deserve. He's taken the punishment. He was sent to take the punishment so we can go free. And people say, I want to see that because that's a longing in my heart. I'm scared of death and I feel guilty and I don't know if I'm right for heaven. Jesus is the answer. We need to see Jesus. So here's my main whopper of a question again. How do we see and connect with Jesus? Because this is important now, isn't it? Like, how do we become a place which is better than the garden center or staying at home and watching Azerbaijan Formula One Grand Prix or the cricket all happening this afternoon? And here's the answer. And this is the simple part, which we often overcomplicate. You ready? It's 25 and 26. The man who loves his life will lose it. The man who hates his life, or that means gives it up in this world, will get to keep it. Whoever serves me follows me. And where I am, my servant will also be, because they're following me. And my Father in heaven will honor the one who serves and follows me. Sir, we want to see Jesus in Park End Church. What's his answer? Follow me. Follow me, because I'm the rabbi. Don't forget that. Don't make this Greek and complicated and ethereal and Gnostic. Follow the rabbi. Die to yourself, he says. Live a resurrected life like you're a new you, following me. I've died for you, I've risen for you, follow me. Do what I say, he says elsewhere in John 14, keep my commandments. Do what I say, and you'll see me. You will see me, 
and my Father will fill you with glory and hope when you follow me. Now, our tendency has been, I've got to withdraw, I've got to retreat, I've got to meditate, I've got to reflect. And we've left this country up the creek. Wales is in a right mess. What does it need? People who see Jesus follow him and do what he says. Because he's the Jewish rabbi. And people follow and learn and put into practice what they see, and then they see more. And that's biblical Christianity. Here are some responses amongst devout Christians when asked, what are the things essential to their Christian faith? Ready? 89% of Christians said the most important thing is praying regularly. 70% said, wait, how do I have 89 and 70% in this? Anyway, that, that's a mass question. Anyway, 70% also said, reading the Bible. Oh, I guess they gave more than one answer. Yeah, I get it. 70% said, reading the Bible regularly. Not on the list of this recent survey that I noticed was putting his words into practice, doing what he says. And in John chapter 12, it is clear that to see God, you do what he says. Within your own limited capacity and what you know, you start doing it. If you've not seen him, you're probably not doing what he says. Like how many parables does Jesus say help other people? There's loads of them. Do it. Do stuff in my name and you will be blessed and you'll learn more about who I'm like along the way. Do it. Now, we also have a God that comes alongside us when we haven't done anything and he saves us and forgives us. He's very kind. I know those moments where we have not been good at doing stuff and yet he still draws near, fills us with kindness, Glory to the grace and the patience of God. That's my story. I'm generally useless. He's very kind to me. But there's another side to our faith, and it's this one in John 12. If you want to see more, don't sit back and deliberately be useless and wait for those moments. Go and do stuff. Because the world needs church who sees Jesus, but also follows him. He says, I'm going into the ground for you, and I'm coming back. There's glory here. So you go in the ground to your own ways and start doing things my way. Live the resurrected life and have faith in me that I will reward you along the way. So the Greeks say, I want to see Jesus. And the answer is, it's going to cost you, but you get to follow me now and it's going to be glorious. Now my two little boys, when they argue and they're selfish, I say to them, Prove Jesus right now. Right now, he says, put each other first. Follow him as Christians right now in the moment. And when they do it, there's this peace and joy that you don't get when you live your life being selfish. The message to the children is, I know we've all got tendencies to be sinful, but in this moment now, follow Jesus. And I don't know if you know this, but a life of giving instead of taking is a lot more rewarding. Have you found that? Do what I say. I say in the playground, when everybody's selfish or picking on each other, you go to the person on the edge of the group who's been left out, 
you be like Jesus and you prove his blessing upon you and him as you do what he said. Don't be a Christian who stays in the attic, pondering. Go to the person over there who needs you. There's almost 200 commands of Jesus when you include what he says in the Old Testament. 200. Could you name them? There's a quiz. So what is church? People who trust in Jesus, we share the risen life together. We prove how wonderful he is by doing what he says, his kingdom work. 2 Corinthians says we are co-workers with God to work his way and his kingdom on earth. So go and help people. Like, yeah, there's got to be more to it than that. No, go and help people. Go and be holy. Go and form communities that support people. Don't let the widows go hungry. Don't let addicts face the world alone. Surround single mums and dads with hope and help. Go and visit the sick and offer all the ways you possibly can. Die to yourselves. Live to the ways of God. Now let me say something controversial, but it's based on this passage. Sometimes my prayer is this. Lord, keep Park End from becoming a preaching center and a praying center. Hey, and I love preaching. And I love praying. And my family prays for you throughout the week in all the ways we can and we remember. But if we're not also actively following Jesus and doing simple things in his name, we will not see Jesus because he is the rabbi that calls us to follow him. If in this area, Christians show up for an hour on a Sunday and then are invisible in the life of this community for the rest of the week until they gather again back here for another week, we will not see Jesus and nor will this community. We want to see Jesus follow me. I said to Phil the other day, Phil was teaching some young ministers. I went to go and speak to them. Do you know what I said? You can teach all the truth in the world. They're all married, so you're wicked. You can teach all the truth you want in the world. But if when you come home from a hard day's work, your wife and kids can't thank God for you because you're a monster behind closed doors, you're not seeing Jesus. That truth isn't helping anybody. Sir, we want to see Jesus. I met someone the other day as I wrap all this up. I met someone the other day, and it turns out, in conversation, we both know another person. And the other person is a Christian. So I said, ah, oh, you know, do -do 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 -do, the Christian. Yeah, I work with da -da 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 -da. She goes, she's lovely. She's a hard worker. She's loyal. She's faithful. And I thought, that's a great witness, isn't it? Imagine she had gone, she's a whingy, lazy, corner-cutting, gossipy monster. But she's in church every week. She's not seeing Jesus. She's certainly not helping others to see Jesus. So our prayer for people like that who don't yet know Jesus is that this would eventually happen. Can I tell you why I help you? Because the Lord helps me every day, and he's wonderful. And actually, even though I'm helping you, it's him really helping you because he sent me to you. And, do you know, anything you see nice about me is only because of Jesus. And can I tell you how much he's done for all of us? He's done things for you don't even realize yet. That's where we want the conversations to go. But it only comes from following Jesus. So I close 
a simple sermon with a list of some of the things the Lord Jesus Christ calls us to have faith in him this week, and that involves doing what he says. Are you ready? I only got a little one. I cut it loads out. Number one, repent. Number two, be happy even if others put you down. Shine like a light. Reconcile with enemies. Don't lust. Keep your word. Turn the other cheek. Go above and beyond for people. Live for eternal treasures, not ones that are going to rot. Seek God first. Ask Him every day for what you need. Treat others as you like to be treated. Pray more for helpers in church life to spread the word and the kingdom. Be wise. Don't be afraid. Cast your burdens onto Him. Honor your parents. Be kind to any children you meet. Don't be greedy. And here's a big one for those of us in the life of the church who know people going through difficult times. Rest in me. Maybe that's his word to you this week. Rest and let other people serve you. Well, that'll do for now. So may the cross and the gospel affect us deeply and this community. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.